Raise your hand if you've ever watched an episode of the TV show, The Family Feud. <laughs> the Family Feud, okay. Uh, you, no, I didn't ask you to keep them up very long, but I was actually gonna see if there was anybody in the room who has not seen The Family Feud. I, I would be rather surprised. You've not seen The Family Feud. Okay, little guy. All right, it's still out there. I didn't know it was still out there until I was preparing this illustration. It started in 1976. It was instantly the number one game show in America. It's been going strong for 40 years. I was told it's still in the top three game shows, which I thought was pretty amazing. And then I thought, there's not really that many game shows anymore. But, <laughs> but Family Feud is one of those iconic American TV shows, and we're going to play a round of Family Feud together this morning. Here's how it's going to work. I'm going to ask a question that was asked on a real Family Feud, and if you think you know the answer, the number one answer, I want you to raise your hand. Now, remember, this is how the show worked, was they would, they would survey 100 people, and they'd say, you know, 100 people surveyed, top five answers on the board or whatever it was. And, and so the number one answer was not necessarily always the right answer to a question. It was the most popular answer. And so here's the question. Again, get your buzzers ready. This is your buzzer. Okay, you got this? I'm gonna call on the first hand that I see. Here's the question. Get ready. 100 people surveyed. Top four answers on the board. When someone mentions the king, to whom might he or she be referring? Okay, I saw your hand first. Yes. God. God. Okay. Great answer. Not the number one answer. Who has another guess? Who has? Okay. I see your hand right here. Um, Jesus. Another really great answer. <laughs> Jesus. The right answer, by the way. But not the number one answer. I see that hand clear in the back. Back row. Elvis. That was it. <laughs> Elvis Presley. The number one answer, you will not believe how many people out of 100 people surveyed, 81 said Elvis. Guess how many votes Jesus got? Seven, which I thought was actually kind of appropriate, you know, seven being the holy number. But, <laughs> but then I realized when I look at the results, Jesus was barely ahead of Burger King. Now, The question that was on everybody's mind when Jesus entered Jerusalem around AD 33, 2,000 years ago, at the beginning of Passover week on Palm Sunday, the question on everybody's mind was, is Jesus the king? I mean, that was it. That's what had the city of Jerusalem buzzing. Is Jesus the king we've been waiting for? Is he the king who will deliver us and bring justice where there's injustice and set us free from bondage? Is he the king who will clean up the mess and lead us into a new kingdom? And it never occurred to me until this week as I was walking through the footsteps of Jesus, as, as we all were this week, those of us that were doing the daily texts that have been coming, and it never occurred to me that you can actually understand everything that happened to Jesus on Passion Week by thinking about different people's answer to the question, is Jesus the king? When he rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, the answer was yes. When he was arrested on Thursday and then tried on Friday morning, the answer was no. And as he hung on the cross, the sign above his head begged the question, is Jesus 
the king. So here we are, Easter 2022, and the same question is before us. I wanna put that question before us because I believe this is the question. I know preachers are given to hyperbole, but I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say this may be the most important question you will ever answer. What do you believe? Is Jesus the king or isn't he? And I have to say this, you have to answer the question. You're gonna have an answer. You're either gonna say no or you're gonna say yes. And I wanna dig into it this morning because I think our answers matter just as much as those of the first century. So here's where I wanna start. I wanna start in the darkness of Good Friday before we go to the light of Easter Sunday. Turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 15. This is one chapter before the text that was just read to us. Mark chapter 15, I'm gonna start in a minute in verse one. Here's the setting. It's very early on Friday morning. It's 48 hours before the resurrection. Jesus has already been arrested the night before. He'd he'd been held. Um, It was against the law to have a trial at night. So they waited until early in the morning. The first person that is gonna answer the question on Good Friday is Jesus the King, is Pontius Pilate. Now, Pilate was not a Jew. Pilate was a Roman. In fact, Pilate was the highest ranking Roman in the whole region. So here's what that meant. Pilate represented Caesar's authority to the people of that region. It was a very, very important position. And so when the people met with Pilate, when they saw Pilate, when they had any audience with Pilate, in their minds, they were talking to the king. In their minds, they were talking to Caesar because Pilate had Caesar's authority. And make no mistake about it, Caesar was king over Judea and over the whole Roman Empire. Let's look at Mark 15, starting in verse one. As soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him to Pilate. Interestingly, it was not the Romans that arrested Jesus. So, you know, the images in our head of in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Roman soldiers coming for Jesus, it was not the Roman soldiers. It was a mob that was stirred up by the chief priests and the religious leaders. So the religious leaders had Jesus arrested, but they had no authority to execute him. They wanted to kill him. They couldn't do it. By Roman law, only Rome could execute. So they have to go to Pilate. They have to get Caesar's authority in essence. Now watch what Pilate does. This is fascinating to me because he goes straight to the question. He doesn't waste any time. He jumps straight to the issue that's going to determine Jesus' life. Verse two, and Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Pause right there before we go on. Why was this Pilate's question? It's really obvious if you think about it because Pilate represented Caesar. And if Jesus was claiming some kind of rival governmental power, he and Jesus were going to have a problem. But look how Jesus replied. You have said so. In the Greek, it's just two words. You say. Now, this is a brilliant answer. It's an an answer that's a non-answer in a way. And I want to explain why I think this is so brilliant. Number one, You might think, well, Jesus knew he was gonna be killed. He knew how this was gonna play out. Why didn't he just say, yes, I'm the king of the Jews. In fact, Pilate, I'm the king over you. I'm the king over Caesar. I'm the king of the whole world. Why didn't Jesus go down that path? Well, rebelling against Rome is not the cause Jesus came to die for. 
Jesus is doing something else too. He's actually reflecting the question back to Pilate. I think this was brilliant and I think it was an act of love. And I wanna explain why I believe that. Pilate wanted Jesus to answer the question. Jesus said, actually, Pilate, the most important answer is yours. Who do you think I am? Who do you say that I am? So, so Jesus says back, you say, it, you have said this. Those are your words. Do you believe or not, Pilate? He's forcing Pilate to decide. He's forcing Pilate to answer the question that we all must answer. Is Jesus the king? Look at verse three. The chief priests accused him of many things. Pilate again asked him, have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer so that Pilate was amazed. I love that little detail. Pilate was amazed. Why was Pilate amazed? Because he could clearly see Jesus posed no threat to Rome and yet Jesus made no defense. Surely Pilate had known innocent people killed for crimes they did not commit, but he had never met an innocent man who did not defend himself. So Pilate had to be thinking, this guy would rather stay silent and die than simply say, I'm not a king. And this was amazing to Pilate. This was remarkable. So what was Pilate's answer to the question, is Jesus the king? It, it was a conundrum. Because on the one hand, if he said, no, Jesus is not the king, well, then he doesn't deserve any punishment. He's not a rival. He doesn't need to be executed. But on the other hand, for him to say Jesus is the king would mean for him to bow down to a king other than Caesar. So what is Pilate's answer to the question, is Jesus the king? His answer is no, Jesus is not a threat. But it was also that he saw something amazing about Jesus. Let me pause here and point out, I think Pilate's answer to this question is the same of many people today. And honestly, many of you in the room, many people watching online would answer the question similarly to Pilate. Here, here's what you might say. Well, I don't believe Jesus is someone I need to bow down to, but he was a remarkable person. That's a very common view about Jesus, even among the church. I love how unthreatened Jesus was by Pilate's judgment. He didn't make a defense. He did not argue with Pilate. He simply redirected the question for Pilate to answer. Don't be surprised if Jesus does the same for you. Have you ever considered the restrained silence of Jesus as an invitation to faith? I have to imagine many times before Pilate died that his mind went back to this day. I mean, it, this is the day that history knows Pilate for. And by the time Pilate would have died, the Christian faith was already going it was already creating a stir. I have to imagine many times Pilate thought back on this day. And I wonder if at any moment before he died, his amazement of Jesus turned to faith in Jesus. We have no record that that happened. 
but knowing the kindness of Jesus, it would not shock me. So Pilate's answer to the question, is Jesus the king? Pilate said no, but there's something amazing about him. From, from Pilate, we go now to the Jerusalem crowds. I'm gonna read verses six to 15. Now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them saying, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, crucify him. And Pilate said, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. It's almost certain that many people in the crowd here yelling crucify him were the same people in the crowd on Palm Sunday saying, Hosanna, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. How do we know that that's true? Well, verse 12, Pilate says, what shall I do with the man you call? He's talking to the crowd. You call him the king of the Jews. Now, where did he get that idea that the crowd was calling Jesus the king of the Jews? He heard the cries on Palm Sunday. It would not have been lost on Pilate. Like these people are laying down their cloaks on the road. They only do that for royalty. They're, they're quoting Hebrew scripture that says, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And all that palm branch waving would have gotten his attention. And what I love about what Pilate is doing here with the crowds is he's doing the same thing for them that Jesus did for him. He's asking them the question. He's putting the question on them. He's saying, do you believe Jesus is the king? Now the crowd's answer on Palm Sunday had been yes, but on Good Friday, it's no. They're saying, not only is he the king, but we don't need him anymore. We don't want him anymore. Crucify him, get rid of him. Do whatever you can to end his life. Why the change? Because Jesus did not deliver what they wanted. Palm Sunday, Jesus came in. They thought, yes, he's gonna rescue us. Good Friday, they see him in chains being judged by Pilate. Jesus was supposed to put Pilate in chains, not the other way around. And so they'd heard of all the miracles Jesus had done, but now he's in chains in the very moment. They, they need his power to rise up and break the chains and slay Pilate or overthrow Rome. At that very moment, Jesus is silent. Jesus is still so the crowd's answer to the question, is Jesus the king, is no. We thought he was. But it turns out he can't deliver. Some of us identify with that answer. For many of us, there were times in our lives that we were very excited about Jesus. But he didn't deliver what we hoped. 
You might even say he let us down. Some of you feel that. You may never have thought about it this way, but what your heart has decided is if he can't make my life better, I won't serve him. I won't suffer for him. But I want you to see how Jesus treated the crowds. He did not judge the crowds. Jesus did not rage against them. He did not stand up and say, why are you changing your tune so fast? It occurred to me this week that Jesus would have recognized the voices crying out, crucified him. He would have heard the same voices. He heard shouting, Hosanna, on Sunday. He did not judge them. Jesus knew that they couldn't see that in that moment, he actually was serving them. In that moment, he was suffering for them. So Pilate's answer, no, he's not the king, but there's something amazing about him. The crowd's answer, we thought he was the king. It turns out he didn't deliver. Let's look at one more group on Good Friday, the Roman soldiers, verses 16 to 20. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him in a purple cloak, And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him and they began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they'd mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him and they led him out to crucify him. The only voices on Good Friday, hailing Jesus as a king were voices of mockery. The level of cruelty we see here in this picture is maybe the darkest corner of the human heart. There's things in all of us sometimes that surprise us that we're capable of. The Roman army was notorious for its brutality. It was one of the reasons why they stayed in power for so long. But what we sometimes forget is the Roman army was made up of individual Roman soldiers, each of whom had a story and a mother and were once a little boy. What has to happen to someone to cause them to treat another human being like this? Where does this kind of depravity come from? Let's not remove responsibility from the soldiers, but let's also recognize these are not the actions of healthy, free human beings. Inside of each of these soldiers was pain seeping out as rage, directed at someone they saw as weaker and more vulnerable than they were. What was the answer to the soldier's question? Is Jesus a king? What was the soldier's answer? They made a joke of the question. They said, sure, he's a king. 
as they spat on him, as they kicked him down. They made Jesus an object of their ridicule. Why? To feel better about themselves. Their actions were saying, Jesus is no king. He's so far beneath us. We'll take sick delight in doing whatever we want to, to him. But inside their hearts, in places that their minds would only go when no one else is around, they must have sensed a darkness they had no control over. How do I know that? Because I too am a human being. All of us know this feeling. We know what it's like when the darkness inside of us seems like it's out of our control. We do or we say things we later look back on and think, what is wrong with me? Maybe this morning in your heart, you're thinking, I can't say Jesus is the king because what kind of hypocrite would that make me? Maybe this morning you're a little afraid that he might be the king because if he is, his first act should be to condemn you. I want you to see how Jesus treated the soldiers. He did not condemn them. He took their rage. He absorbed it. He took their abuse. Jesus didn't condemn the soldiers and neither does he condemn you. Jesus suffers at our hands for the redemption of our hearts. So on Good Friday, the verdict was in. The survey says no. Jesus is not the king. Pilate said no. The crowd said no. The soldiers said no. But if Good Friday gave us the final answer, we would not be sitting here this morning. There was one voice that had not yet spoken. It turns out the answer to this question is not up to man. It's not a survey question. There is a right answer to it. And the answer can only come from one person. God's answer to the question, is Jesus the king, did not come through mere words. It came through God's actions, visible for all to see. In fact, God the Father answered the question for all time. And the way he answered the question is so clear that today even a child can see what many could not. That reminds me of another story of another king. Do you remember the fable of the emperor's clothes? You know, there were these two swindlers who came to the king and said, you know, we can weave the greatest fabric in the land and, and we want to sell you the greatest suit of clothing you've ever had. But here's the catch. Only 
the people who are worthy of their position can see it. The king eagerly made the deal, and on the day the king paraded through the city, the truth of his outfit was plain and visible for all to see. But everybody was too afraid to say what was clear until a child spoke the truth. The emperor has no clothes. Perhaps we need the clarity of a child's voice to remind us how God answered the question, is Jesus the king? This week, Erin Frizzell, who's been a part of fellowship for a long time, she and her husband, Bubba, Erin Frizzell was talking to her four-year-old daughter, Eden, and they started talking about Easter and it became one of those conversations that she decided she wanted to secretly record. Have you ever done that as a parent? I've done that as a parent. And I want you to listen to what Eden, four-year-old Eden said about the resurrection. And as you listen to this, I want you to remember, Pilate, the crowd, the soldiers, all missed the king who was standing right before them. But from the mouth of a child, I want you to hear how God answered the question, is Jesus the king? on the cross so they put needles in his hands to hang on the cross and he do his foots like this and nailed them in and and he was hanging on the cross and 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 he was wrapped up in the cloth and the and Jesus was in a cave and 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 the angels angel sit on the rock and and um um and he the and the rock was rolled away and Jesus was not there. He was alive again. That's amazing. <laughs> and this is the living word of God for us today. Jesus was not there. He was alive again. The empty tomb was God's answer to the question. The empty tomb was God's seal of approval, the finished work of the Son. The resurrection of Jesus was and still is today God's exclamation point on anybody who will dare proclaim Jesus is the king. And so this morning, you have an opportunity to answer the question. Perhaps today is the day that Easter makes sense to you. And I know this is true. Every year we have people, they come to this service and they're like, I don't know that this is all really true. And then God does something and people come to faith. And I wanna invite that to be you this morning. And, and here's what I would say to you. If you're someone that this morning, Easter makes sense to you. Put your trust in King Jesus. 
the most important question you'll ever answer. Is Jesus the king? You have an opportunity for the first time with integrity this morning to say, I believe he is. And here's all that means. It means you believed he lived a righteous life you could never live and then he exchanged that life for yours. He died. He was buried. He rose again. He suffered for you. He bore your shame. He does not judge you. How could he? He took all the judgment on himself. He sees the shadow inside of you and he moves towards you anyway. Bow down to him with your heart. Tell him that you're turning from unbelief to faith. He's a good king. I want to invite the band back out because I want us all to have an opportunity to answer this question with our voices. Today's our day to answer it. We're here. It's Easter. We're here. The people in the first century, they answered the question. Some answered no. Many others eventually answered yes. Today is our day. It's resurrection day. We're gathered together. The question is right in front of us. If your heart is cold toward Jesus, let his kindness toward you melt it. If your faith is small this morning, let the truth of the empty tomb enlarge in it. God still speaks 2,000 years later through the resurrection of Jesus. The empty tomb is proclaiming Jesus is the king, and not just the king of the Jews. He's king over death. He's king over life. He's king over creation. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. And so let's join, not just with the angels on Easter Sunday, but let's join with the earliest followers of Jesus, and let's proclaim what is true. Jesus is the king.